the good news. We are all about some good news here uh, at this little place on Antioch Road. Uh, all about some good news. And we've been talking all month long how Jesus is the good news. We started uh, way back in the first Sunday of December talking about how uh, the good news was promised, how the good news was promised. And we looked back into some Old Testament passages of Scripture uh, and looked at what the people in Jesus' day were expecting. They were expecting Messiah to come and radically change their lives. And with the herald of the the angels, I bring you good news that brings great joy to all people. We saw that they had an expectation for Jesus, for the Messiah coming. And then we looked at the proclamation of good news and how good news is, is something that has happened that affects the here and the now. Uh, news is not a, uh, uh, advice. News is not something that might happen. News is something that has already happened. Uh, so we said that the gospel is the declaration of something that's already happened. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has paid the price for our sin. He has given us a new life. He's called us by his grace. All of that is what Jesus has done. And we said that the foundation of our walk with God is not based on what we've done or what we can do, but it's based on what Jesus has done for us. And then last week, uh, we looked at the person of the good news, that the gospel is not just an idea. Uh, Grace is not just a doctrine. Uh, It is a person, Jesus Christ. We looked at the foundation of of our walk is not based upon uh, a system or creed or just ideas or just teachings. It's based upon a person, not a person that we come together and memorialize Uh, and remember Jesus, but it's a person that we experience on an everyday basis. For our Jesus rose from the grave, defeated death and hell and everything else, and he lives and he reigns not just with us, but in us as well by the person of the Holy Spirit. So we said all of those is about the person of Jesus. Well, today I want to talk about uh, and finish up this series on the power of the good news, the power of the good news. What difference does Jesus make? What difference? People say, you know, well, it, well, I can be good without Jesus. What do I need Jesus for? Well, Jesus didn't come for you to be good without him. Yes, people can be good in, by our standards, but Jesus, but, but Jesus didn't come. Jesus came because we were helpless in our own efforts to do anything. We were spiritually dead, and that's what we need to understand. We were spiritually dead, and Christ made us alive, Ephesians chapter 2, being made alive with Christ while we were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice that while we were dead, he made us alive. So we think we're going to turn over a new leaf, and we think we're going to get our life right, and we think we're going to do all this, when in essence was we wouldn't be anything if Jesus hadn't made us alive. You couldn't choose Jesus unless he chose you first. And the good news, this is, this is really good. The good news is not that you chose Jesus. That's a response to the good news. The good news is, is that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that's the good news. All right, sermon over. We can go home. because That's just, that's, that's really good. Okay. Thank you, Rob Godwin, for that applause. I'm getting ready to walk out the door and go on vacation. I want to leave as much as anybody else today. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's, I, I want to look um, 
in, in, in three main passages, and I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures, okay? The three main passages I want to look at, we're looking at three uh, to prove a point. The good news is the good news of God's grace as revealed through Jesus Christ. That's it. The good news of God's grace as revealed through Jesus Christ. John chapter 17 is not my scripture, but John 117 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to bring grace and truth. Uh, I, was, uh, I have a, a book by a uh, pastor in the RDU area, uh, J.D. Greer, and it's a book simply called Gospel. And in that, he gives kind of a, a gospel prayer that he kind of made up. And I, I want to share this gospel prayer with you that he made up. He says, in Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I've done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. A prayer of grace. The life of grace, this, this grace life is, is a threefold grace experience. Number one, there is grace for redemption. There's the grace that God gives you to bring you to himself. And that grace makes us live victorious over sin. You see, people that don't know grace, uh, they think grace is a license to sin, which cannot be further from the truth. Someone that says that obviously tells me automatically, you don't know anything about grace. Uh, Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So what grace does is just totally take sin out of the picture and makes you dead to sin. Before Jesus, we were dead in our sins, after Jesus, we are dead to our sins and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. So the essence of grace is that grace takes our sin and completely removes it. It casts it to the bottom of the sea. It's never remembered anymore by God. So grace takes away our sin for the purpose that we can walk in the purposes that God has for us with sin not hindering us. So there's grace for redemption. There's grace to live victorious over sin. And then there's grace that we can extend to others. The, the part of his prayer was, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. So I, I want to demonstrate kind of this threefold uh, essence of grace, grace for redemption, grace to live victorious, and grace to extend to others. And that's the power of grace. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We'll get to that in a moment. So let's look at these. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look together in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. And if you'll notice, I have some phrases in each of these passages underlined so we can see the point of this threefold essence of grace, how we're graced for redemption, grace to live victorious, and grace that we can extend to others. The first one is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. There's salvation. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's the first thing I want you to see. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 
The next phrase says, for we are God's handiwork. If, you have, if you're reading from the King James, it says, we are his workmanship. We have been handcrafted by God. We are his handiwork. You are the work of God's hands. I want you to get that. You are the work of God's hands. That's what he does for us in redemption. He makes us new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you are his handiwork. That's who you are. That doesn't change. You are God's handiwork. Then it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's the outworking of grace, how grace extends to others, how grace extends to others. We're saved by grace. We're God's handiwork. We're, we're his righteousness, and we're his righteousness that we can do good works. Notice good works flow from who you are not the other way around. We think if we can do enough good, then we can be good enough. Most of the we think if we can do good enough, that we can be good enough. But it doesn't work that way. As Christians, we should do good because he's made us good. We should live righteous because he's made us righteous. We live holy because he's put the Holy Spirit in us, and as we're being led by the Spirit, our life follows that trajectory of the Holy Spirit. So those three areas in Ephesians chapter 2, we see very clearly. The second passage I want us to see this morning is in Titus chapter 2, the New Testament book of Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. The scripture says, for the grace of God hath appeared The grace of God hath appeared. Talk about a Christmas message. There's a Christmas message. When Jesus appeared, grace appeared. The grace of God hath appeared that offers salvation to all people. So there's the first part. We said the first part of the essence of grace is that grace for redemption, grace that we are saved by. So the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's the first part. Notice this. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. How can we say no to ungodliness? Because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us because we've been made righteous. And now that we've been made righteous, it gives us the power to say no to unrighteousness. You see, before the Scripture says, before we experience God's grace, it says that we are slaves to sin. That means we we try to get away from it. We don't want to do it. But there's a power that controls us by our own nature. And we are powerless to it. We might gain victory uh, over it, you know, for a short time. But we become slaves to that sin, slaves to that lifestyle. But grace empowers us to say no to ungodliness because we're not living out of an old nature, but we're living according to a new nature. So it says to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So salvation empowers us to say no to ungodliness because he's made us righteous. And then it tells us to say yes to a godly way 
of living. It teaches us to live godly or righteous because that's who we are in essence. The last passage that we want to look at is in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So notice that there's, there's your first part of our essence of grace. That it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Then notice this next phrase. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Through the gospel, through the good news, it reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals how to be right with God. How to become righteous. The good news. Well, the good news is in Christ you're made righteous. It's the good news. So the gospel shows you that. The law that they had lived under for 1,500 years, the Jews did, it did not show them that. It showed them, in essence, unless they could live perfect, they could never be righteous. That's not good news. It might be, there might be somebody here who thinks they can live perfect and, be, and achieve righteousness, but it's not this guy. I promise you that. So that's not good news that I have to live perfect in order to be righteous. That's the farthest thing from goodness. But the good news is, is that my righteousness is not dependent on what I do. My righteousness is dependent on whose I am. And because he is righteous and I am in him, I am righteous. And that's what the gospel reveals. That's what the gospel reveals. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's all by faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Your life is empowered by grace through faith. And you are kept by grace through the power of God. Just as it is written, then it says the righteous will live by faith. So our life is defined by living a life of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So the three things that we see in that passage is the good news brings salvation, the good news reveals righteousness, and the good news activates faith to live by. So as we understand God's grace, as we grow in God's grace, we walk in God's grace. There are three levels of grace. We understand God's grace. We receive God's grace. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we walk in God's grace. And that's what makes God's grace so powerful. One writer says, he, there's a quote from one writer. He says, grace is too strong to leave us passive. Too potent to let us wallow in the mire of our sin and our weaknesses. Grace in us overcomes. Grace in us overcomes. So based on those three scriptures and those three ideas, I want to show you two things that have to do with the power of God's grace. Number one, God's grace empowers us to live. It empowers us to live. Then it empowers us to give. It empowers us to live, and it empowers us to give. Another way of saying it, 
that one church adopted. This is actually their mission statement. I thought it was, it was great. It says, their mission is to live like Jesus and to share his love. To live like Jesus and to share his love. So grace empowers us to live and empowers us to give. Somebody say, empowers me to live and empowers me to give. That's what grace does. So we're going to look at these two for just a few moments today. Grace empowers us to live, to live. First of all, I want you to see how victorious and overcoming grace is. Grace makes us free from sin and bondage in order to live righteously and godly. Listen, Jesus didn't just save you so that you wouldn't do bad things. The the bad things hinder us from doing what he's really called us to do. God called us to be something and to do something on this earth. But sin got in the way of being who we were supposed to be and doing what we were supposed to do. So Jesus came to take sin out of the way so that we can be who we were called to be and do what we were called to do. So in essence, you are not just saved from something. Many people say saved from our sins. I know many people that may not do the bad things, but their life has never been captivated by the grace of God that they truly live out of the things of the Spirit. They'll just tell you how much they don't do and condemn everybody else for doing what they don't do. Come on, somebody. We'll talk more about that in a minute. It's easy to, it's easy to condemn people for the sins we don't do and that we don't struggle with. So don't talk about my sin that I struggle with. Well, you are not just saved from something. You were saved for something. Talking about the children of Israel, the writer puts it this way. He says, God brought us out of Egypt that he might bring us in and give us the land that he promised to our fathers. He brought us out so he might bring us in. He brought us out so he might bring us in. He brought us out not just to bring us out. He brought us out for the purpose of bringing us into the promised land that he had for them. A land that was described as flowing with milk and honey. A, a land that was described as there are houses that you didn't build, vineyards that you didn't plant. There's all the blessings already there for you, waiting for you. It's a finished work. I brought you out of Egypt to bring you into a finished work that you would live and rest in that work. God has a plan for our lives. Sin wasn't part of that plan. So he did away with sin in Christ so we could be who we've been called to be, to do what he's called us to do. We're not just free from, but we are free to do. We're not just free from, we are free to. So I don't buy the excuse when people say, I just... Don't feel worthy enough. I just don't feel, I feel so unworthy to be used by God. Number one, I come to find out that's just an excuse. Number one. And number two, that's really an insult to Jesus who made you worthy. Come on. He made you worthy. So who am I to say I'm not worthy? I'm saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't good enough for me. 
What you did isn't good. That means what I do can override what you did for me. Absolutely not. We're worthy because he made us worthy. And we're worthy that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We can obtain help in our time of need. Come boldly to a throne of grace. So grace empowers us not just to be free from something, but to be free to something. From to. From to. Some people have the from out. Here's what I want. I want to get you into. I want to get you into the life that Jesus died for you to have. I want to get you into the life that Jesus has freely given to you, to get you into the joy that Jesus paid for you to have joy, to get you into the peace that Jesus paid the price for you to have peace. I want to get you into that. I want to get your relationships into that place where it's built up and rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. I want to get you to that place in your mind that you're walking, not, not, not move to and fro with the things of this world, but are settled in the hope of who he is in your life. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. And he saved you for something. So the first thing I want you to see is that we are called by grace. We are called by grace. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, When God, Paul says, When God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult with any human. Notice what he says there. He says, God who set me apart from my mother's womb. God's had you in mind a whole lot longer than you've had him in mind. Let me tell you something. If God's no respecter of persons, if God can set Paul apart from his mother's womb, I believe he can set you apart from your mother's womb. That you are not here by accident. That your life is not just happened to be. That you are here because God designed for you to be here. And that he set us apart, called us by his grace. Listen, and here's the amazing thing about God. The amazing thing about God is Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He led Christians to be murdered. He led Stephen to be stoned, for people to pick up rocks and throw them at his face until his bones break and he dies. And God knew that when he set him apart from his mother's womb. Wow, how big is God's grace? How big is God's grace? How big is God's grace? God works all things together for our good. Think about King David in the Old Testament. King David, he looked and saw a young lady whose husband was away at war where David should have been with his men, and he takes this young lady, and he sleeps with her. He has her husband brought back, gets him drunk, sends him back out to battle. He, he dies. 
The, the child that they conceive dies. David marries her, and they have another son by the name of Solomon. Solomon ends up being king of Israel. However, David had promised, or God had promised David, your seed, I'm getting ready to go some deep water. God promised David before Solomon that your seed would sit on your throne forever. That your seed would sit on your throne. That was an immediate promise of Solomon and an ultimate promise of Jesus. God took, now, now, now this, isn't a, uh, this isn't permission to go out and do stupid things. It's just showing you how big God is. That even God can take our biggest mistakes and work them into his plan for our lives. And then has the audacity to call David a man after his own heart. Wow, how big is God's grace? That God knew beforehand what David would do. That there would be an adulterous relationship that would lead to a marriage that was not only up and up, that would lead to a child named Solomon, and that would ultimately lead to a child named Jesus. You see why I'm so in love with God's grace? It's beyond anything that we can imagine. He called us by his grace. As Paul being a persecutor of Christians, God was just looking down at Paul, saying it's only a matter of time, buddy. It's only a matter of time before I step into your space and your life has changed forever. And you finally go from being who you were to being who I've destined you to be, to be free from being a persecutor and being free to being an apostle. Just like that. Just like that, you go from persecutor to called, persecutor to apostle, unrighteous to righteous, in your sin, forgiven of your sin. Just like that. That's the power of the good news of the gospel. And I hope you've become captivated by the power of the gospel. He said in 2 Timothy verse 9 of chapter 1, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Number two, we're gifted by God's grace. We are gifted by God's grace. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Ephesians 4, 7, and 8. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. We are gifted by God's grace. Even the term for spiritual gifts is the word charismata. Charis meaning grace. Gifts of grace. That he gives to every man severally as he will. The manifestation, the gifts of the Spirit is given to each one to profit with all. God gifts us by his grace. Not because we have done something to earn it, but because in his mercy he gifted us to be who we are. He's gifted us. Then he's made us ministers by his 
grace. He's made us ministers by his grace. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Use whatever gift God has graced you with to serve others as faithful stewards. The gifts of God are not given to put God's people on a pedestal. Don't you understand that? The gifts we have are not to build us up. The gifts we have is to build others up. The Holy Spirit is not given for us to hide in a building and say, look how great I am. How great I art. It, it, that's, that's not the song. But that's the song many people sing sitting in church buildings. How great I art and how bad y'all are. I really wish they had y'all in King James English. That would make it so much better. So much better. Thee, thou, and y'all. That's awesome. But God gives us gifts for the edifying of each other. Not for the edifying of ourselves. For the edifying of each other. So it says, as we have received the gift, minister, serve one another. Romans chapter 12 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's made us ministers by his grace to minister one to another, which brings us to our last point. He empowers us to give. To give Life. As we have received life, we are to give life. As we receive, let us give. Look in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. Jesus says, love your enemies. I'm just going to let that sink. I'm just going to let it sink. But love your enemies. Let that sink. I just think Jesus meant what he said. Here's the problem. You, 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 can, leave, you can leave that scripture up there. You, you can leave that up there because I want them to look at it. I need to look at it. I need to look at it. Love your enemies. He didn't say pretend to. We were real good at that. We can be talking, just dogging somebody and walk by them in the grocery store. Hey, how you doing? God bless you. Great to see you. Then the moment they leave, we cussing them out again. That's not Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Wow. Okay. You told me to love my enemies, but well, I can love them from afar. If I never have to see you, I can love you pretty good. How many of you know that's true? You ain't got to see people, you can love them. But then he takes it a step further and says, do good to them. It means you've got to come in contact. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Listen, and here's the, here, here's the kicker. And you will be children of the Most High. 
Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Yes. That, that, that'll mess up a lot of preaching in churches. He is kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to the wicked. The people you want him to strike dead with a lightning bolt? The people you want him to strike dead with a lightning bolt? In his grace, he's blessing them just like he's blessing you when you really deserve to be struck with a lightning bolt too. Because in essence, we all deserve to be struck with a lightning bolt, but in his mercy and grace, he puts blessings instead of lightning bolts in our lives. And then the call is, so if he, if you deserve to be struck with a lightning bolt and he blessed you and that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by his death. Jesus loved us when we were enemies. He loves people now even when they're enemies of God. And he died for them and reconciled them to himself. He says, just as your father's been merciful to you, since you are his child, be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. As you have received the grace, now you have the freedom to give grace to others. You have the freedom. You have permission to give grace to others. Let's, let's look at this, this next verse that we have. What's our next verse on the screen? You can take that one down. We've, we've, we've gone to that point. I'll just, I'll just read the next one because I've got a bunch here and I don't remember what order I put them in. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. Listen to this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son in atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The grace that we've received, we should be free to give. Then 1 John four nineteen says, We love, uh, Many translations say we love because he first loved us. King James says we love him because he first loved us. They inserted that. And the New Living says we love each other. All that is saying is that we have the ability to love, whether it be God or each other, and in essence both, because he first loved us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Jesus doesn't call us to love people to the best of our ability. He calls us to love people to the best of his ability. Christ's love in you. And it all starts with what he has done for us. The next verse, Ephesians chapter 4, 31 through 2, or through 5, 2, because there are no chapter divisions when Paul wrote it. So 4, 31 through 5, 2 of Ephesians says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as Christ, uh, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So because you have received forgiveness, now you're empowered to give 
forgiveness. Just as you have received love, you have the, you have the power to give love. You have received reconciliation. You have the power to give reconciliation. It says, follow God's example, therefore. Follow God's example. God forgave you, and you can forgive others. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave up for us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then finally, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, talk about them and down them on Facebook. No, that's not what it says. Let me make sure I'm reading that right. I might need to go visit my wife or the eye doctor. Uh, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, because he knows nobody that lives by the flesh is going to do this, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. As you have received, you have the power to give. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of God's grace. When I held bitterness and anger and wrath and unforgiveness and old hurts, when grace comes... Now I have the power to give that to others as my life is healed by God's grace. God's grace has a healing power. God's grace has a healing power. And just as God's grace heals you, now God's grace through you has the ability to heal others as well as the power of God's grace. We are to love the way God loves, forgive the way God forgives, restore the way God restores, show mercy the way God shows mercy, And not being judgmental and critical, that's not a gift of the Spirit. Judgment is not a gift of the Spirit. It's amazing how we want to accept God's grace for our own lives. And we want God's mercy in our own lives, but we want to nail everybody else to a cross for what they've done. We want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for others, which really isn't the heart of God. The power of the gospel is when we live out the good news, live out the good news in the calling of who we are, and live out the good news in giving grace to others. Living out the good news. It's time to understand who we are. It's time to understand how we were made. We're made the righteousness of God, the grace that's available to us on a daily basis. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You can't get out of the grace of God. You can't outsend the grace of God. You can't run away from the grace of God. Grace is, 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 it says, where sin abounds, grace abundantly superabounds. God's grace. And the power to show God's grace to others. And then, we can really be the good news in the world as Christ is working in us. That's what the church needs to be known for. That's what we need to be known for in the world. We need to be known as the people of good news who receive God's grace, who proclaim God's grace, who show God's grace to people that don't deserve it. Well, you know how them people are. You know, Yeah. But that gives no excuse. God could have said, God could have said, Jesus, go down there and save them people. And Jesus could have said, look how them people are. Dad, are you serious? For them? Huh, absolutely not. 
If we were Jesus, that's, that's how it would have went. That ain't going in there helping those people. They don't appreciate nothing. They ain't going to help those people. Look how they're living. No. Jesus says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the power of the gospel. The gospel received, the gospel that transforms our life, and the gospel that we give to others. Let's stand together this morning as our musicians come. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the amazing grace that you give us.